Hello and welcome to the June edition of the North of England Football Academy's Coaches Corner. We're absolutely delighted uh, to tell you that we were joined by Michael Bounel this month, Technical Director at French Club Le Havre. Michael has been at the club for almost 20 years and has overseen a development programme that has really played a huge part in Le Havre being recognised as one of the top academies in Europe. I'll leave it to the podcast until we talk about some of the players that they have produced, but you are in for a fantastic insight both into Michael's methodology and the insight to why Le Havre continue to produce so many top players. We're going to do it in two parts this month. There'll be two parts to this podcast. In part one, we're going to be covering why certain districts produce world-class players, the importance of scanning, building game insight with players, and finally, what a training session looks like at Le Havre. In part two, we're going to be covering developing game intelligence, playing models, developing coaches, and finally, the role of parents in player development. So I hope you can join into at least one part, if not both parts, and enjoy listening to Michael's insight. If you are enjoying the Nefer Coaches Corner podcast, we really appreciate it, and we'd appreciate it even more if you could forward it on to, say, three people so that we can all continue to share good practice amongst the coaching community. Also, feel free to leave us a review. We're always looking to make the podcast better for you guys. Finally, thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this month's edition. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Nefer Coaches Corner. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. I know the football is on the telly tonight, so I'm sure we're going to do our very best to compete with that over the next 90 minutes. Really appreciate you being with us. I know we've got a fantastic hour and a half ahead. So brilliant. I'm really looking forward to tonight. As always, I am joined by Neffer's Head of Academy, Spencer Fern, who has been a very, very lucky boy over the last couple of weeks. Because, Spencer, you've been to a few of the Euro game, Euros games and we're off to a game a week tomorrow. How are you? I'm good, Ryan. Yes, I've had the, uh, well, the good fortune, I don't know, this misfortune to uh, watch England's first couple of games, but uh, a great experience. And I think we may be lulling our European colleagues into a false sense of security because we're ready to go tomorrow against the Czech Republic. Oh, that's what I'm hoping for anyway. Uh, but yeah, it's good to see the Euros and it, it's great to have some competitive football that's on every day. Uh, and for people like us, it's just a, a great time. Well, I've been lulled into a very real sense of disappointment. So I hope, I hope you are right, Spencer. I hope you are right. One nation that has excited me with a bit of great play across the first two games, of course, is France. And of course, that is the home country of our very special guest this evening. We're doing our bit for Anglo-Franco relations as well this evening. So, Spencer, I'm going to hand over to you to uh, introduce our special guest for this evening. Thank you, Ryan. Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, a warm welcome to Michael Bunnell, who joins us this evening. 
Uh, Michael's a UEFA A and UEFA A elite youth license coach and spent the last 16 years working at Le Havre. Um, in this time, he's contributed to the development of some, well, half-decent players. And I'll name a few. Mendy, Mares, Pogba, Lasana Diara and Payet. So not too bad, really, coming from the Le Havre Academy. He's also worked for the French Federation for 19 years and was part of the Ivory Coast management team for the World Cup for the under-17s in 2011. Now, Michael is clearly a very busy man. He's also worked as a consultant uh, for the MLS in the States and in January was appointed as the temporary uh, manager of Le Havre Women. So a real warm welcome uh, to you, Michael. I remember seeing you some three or four years ago in London and you certainly made an impression on me, uh, particularly when it comes to scanning, and I know something we're going to discuss throughout the course of the evening. But before we get into our questions, we all know by now that Ryan absolutely loves a poll, don't you, Ryan? I, I love a poll. You know, Spencer, I thought we were busy men until you've just listed all of Michael's jobs off. That is, uh, that, that's, that's certainly, certainly a busy, busy man. Yes, you're right. I love a poll. I live and die for these polls. I know in the last few webinars, I've been, I've been overthinking it. I've been getting a bit too much into it. So tonight I've gone nice and topical, nice and easy. And it's a very easy question. Who will win the Euros? So let's just have a go at that just to get our juices flowing. Whilst you are voting on that poll, I want to say in the second half of the webinar this evening, it's going to be all about you guys tuning in. I want as many questions into us uh, to ask to Michael as possible. Please get your questions in as early as possible. You do that by putting a question in the Q&A box. Don't put it in the chat box. Put it in the Q&A box. Makes my life much, much easier in terms of which order we ask the questions in. So I'll just give it a few more seconds uh, to give you a chance to vote. A few of you not voted just yet. Give it a vote um, if you can. Five more seconds. Right, that'll do, that'll do. Let's have a look um, and I will share the results. Wow, well, uh, hopefully everybody can see that there. Italy, Spencer, coming Ooh. out on top. Spencer, who would you have chosen? Um, well, I have a feeling for, for France or for Belgium. Um, but we have the good fortune. We'll be, uh, I think I'll be watching Italy uh, this coming Saturday at Wembley, so I'm looking forward to that. So. I tell you, I, I, have you got your own parking spot at Wembley? Well, you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, Mike, Michael, who would you have chosen? Well, actually, I would have chosen uh, France, of course. Oh, but, uh, absolutely. No, I think I, I'm, I'm surprised to see that Germany has uh, zero votes. No you know, vote. Yeah, because I think Germany is a very, very good team. And and I agree with Italy because Italy is a, is a nice team. So I would say uh, France, Germany or Italy, I think, uh, are among the best teams in, uh, in this Euro. M Michael, it's a mainly English crowd, which might sort of give you some understanding about why no one's voted for Germany. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I'm surprised France got some votes, but um, that's, that's the way, that's the way that's it cool. is. All right. <laughs> I would have thought a few more for Sweden. That's why I took it. <laughs> Good. So, well, Michael, uh, great to have you with us this evening. And, uh, you know, thank you for, for giving up some of your time. I know you're tremendously busy. So um, we'll get straight into the question. So the first question we have is that you've worked at La Havre now for 16 years. So 
you want to give us a bit of insight into the work that you're doing at the club? Well, actually, yes. As you said, uh, I started a long time ago, and it's uh, it's rare, I would say, to to stay 16 years in an academy because even if uh, we have a long-term process, you know, we we have jobs and we often uh, change clubs. You know, uh, I've been technical director. You know, uh, I would say I've been working with the um, because we we have we have two technical directors at the academy. We share the I would say the the organization because we have a, a very uh, big academy okay and i mean i'm in part i'm in charge of the under six under 15 under 16 uh, department okay and uh, i'm also working with the under 19 group you know so you see i have got a strong overview of uh, uh, of the academy as you said earlier you know i was appointed as a, as a head coach of the women uh, pro team because they are playing in d1 and uh, when the when the, the the coach was sacked, the former coach was sacked. You know, in December, the chair, the chairman asked me to take over the position for 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 those six months, so which which I did. And um, I, I've also been given the chance, you know, to work uh, with the pro team, the men team, you know, because uh, I worked with um, five different coaches. Uh, I was appointed as assistant coach. Uh, several times, you know, uh, the last time was with uh, Bob Bradley, you know, because Bob, uh, you probably know him because he uh, he trained uh, Swansea, yeah, and uh, and uh, I was his assistant coach, uh, well, one of his assistant coaches because we we were three, you know, uh, in Le Havre, you know, it was a great experience, uh, but I've always been related with the, with the academy. You know, so even 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 when I was a assistant coach with the pro team, I was still working with the academy because I consider the academy as, I would say, the heart of my job and the heart of my convictions. You know, so uh, even now I'm still I'm training the women pro team, but I'm still working with the academy. You know, so the academy is my job, and then sometimes I go and help the pro team or the women or the men or, but uh, yes, this is a. I would say the main uh, the main role I would say I have in this academy. Yeah, no, good stuff. And obviously you, you work quite a lot with the the French Federation as well. Do you want to tell us a bit about the the work you do with them? Yeah, actually, well, uh, because it's uh, it's uh, I would say a job in parallel. I would say to 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 what I do in Le Havre, you know, because uh, I I help them to to I would say to construct I would say the national team, the under sixteen and the seventeen national teams, you know, because. I'm part of the uh, of the technical uh, committee or coaches, you know, who create who uh, detect the players, you know, from local to national, you know. So we have the, the we we detect the players from local clubs to to national clubs, and then we create this team, you know, at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also assessor, you know, in um, in um, in the coaching diplomas. So in the UFAA, I often give uh, courses, you know, to uh, the UFA youth. License to sometimes the pro license. Uh, I was today, you know, assessor in the UFA license, you know. So yes, uh, we we try to help, and I'm so part. We are thinking about changing the way we play, you know, with the under 16, under 13 boys, you know. So I'm part of the group, you know, of the national group, you know, uh, experimenting different ways of playing, you know, to make sure that we can um, improve. I would say our capacity to. Uh, improve the game and improve their capacity to play, you know, so. Excellent. Yes. Busy man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but um, I like football, you know. 
Michael, how do you rate yourself as an assessor? Are you, are you a harsh assessor or are you, do, you, do you cut the guys some slack? No, I mean, I mean, so, you know, when you assess, when you assess the guy, you know, you assess the way he organizes, you know, uh, his session. So I'm not, a, I'm not a harsh assessor because, you know, I would say the, the harsh assessor is the competition, you know, because whether you're a good coach or a bad coach, then the competition reminds you that if you win, you're a good coach. And if you lose, you're a bad coach. You know, mm -hmm. this is not true. And I strongly believe this is not true because I know some very good coaches and they sometimes fail. I also know some bad coaches and they sometimes succeed. But, you know, that's sometimes the tricky part of our job, you know. And the tricky part is sometimes you can do a good job on the field in during training sessions, but you have no result, you know. And this is part of the job. Sometimes you succeed, sometimes you fail. This is part of the job. And I would say, we, as a coach, we spend more time failing than succeeding, you know, because, you know, when you see, it's, uh, we, we all want to be in the first position, but there is only one every year, every, um, every, uh, every season. And uh, in England, in the Premier League, we all consider Pep Guardiola as a great coach, but sometimes he failed, you know, sometimes uh, he succeeds, and we know that he's a great coach, you know, so this is part of the job. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, the, the, club, the club that you're at, when people who certainly work in the game, when they think about the great academies that exist in Europe, you know, people really do put Le Havre in there. You know, they put him in with the big academies of, you know, Ajax or, or, or whatever. And, and it's really not that much of a surprise, you know, just, just looking at last season, you know, eight of the 22 players in the first team squad were of 20 years of age or under. You've got some top players in there like Gomez, Kircher and Fafana coming through the academy. Um, uh, you've obviously got a great academy, but how much is part of the strategy to give those boys opportunities in the first team as well? Well, we know that we are um, a humble club, I would say, in League Two, okay? Because we uh, in the past, we used to play in League One. We've been playing in League Two for for mostly 12 years now okay we would like of course of course to come back to league one but it's hard you know but the, the academy has always been you know the pillar the main pillar of the sport uh, philosophy and uh, le Havre is uh, has been producing players for maybe um, 30 nearly 40 years now because you talk about la sana diara but we uh, we can also talk about bonda we can also talk about Boom Song. Many, 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 many famous came, came through our academy, you know. And uh, even if we are uh, a club in League Two, you know, uh, we are still producing because the, pro develop the development of young players, you know, is, is really in the heart of the club, you know. So the academy, and as you said, if I tell you Le Havre, maybe you don't know where it is. Maybe you don't know much about the club because we've never played the Champions League. But everybody knows about the academy, you know, yeah. and in Europe and everywhere in the world, you know. Yeah. And um, those kind, of, those those players, you know, because because we know that the academy is is the heart, I would say, of the club. This helps the young players, you know, to go to the pro team, you know, because we want a, a kind of organize a kind of pathway between the academy and the pro team, you know. And I would say that. Playing in League Two is, of course, uh, something we would like to correct because we would like to play in League One. But we are also aware that those young players are playing in League Two because we are in League Two. 
Yeah. You know, so mostly what happens is they are young. One of them, and, and you didn't mention him, but you know, but it was 2004. You know, and he played with the first team in the last game. You know, and those players are offered opportunity to play with the first team, with the pro team, because you know we play in League Two because it's part of the philosophy, but also because we have good players and, and because we are we have a stable academy and we are producing and there is this connection between the pro team and the academy. Very good. Very good. Excellent. So, uh, Michael, just moving a bit further afield, probably about three hours from La Havre uh, in, in Greater Paris, and I was really interested to read recently that some 60 players who played in the last five men's World Cups were born in Greater Paris, which is 10 more than Buenos Aires in Argentina. So, you know, what are the real factors, do you think, that have led to Greater Paris becoming such a hub, uh, you know, for, for really top players that have been on the world stage? Uh, and do La Havre have a presence in that area? Yes, a lot. And I would say we are lucky to be, uh, we are two hours in a way, we are two hours from Paris because uh, the, uh, when, you, when you leave from Le Havre, two hours later, you are in the suburb, you know, of Paris. Okay. And you're right, Paris is a, is a very, very uh, important place to recruit, you know. So we are lucky to be two hours because uh, it's easier for us to recruit because we are close to the families, and this is very important for us, the balance between the family, football, and school, you know, because um, uh, when we recruit a player, you know, we have a dorm, you know, in our academy. So we, when we recruit a player, we invite him to come in our academy. Mm. The boys stay, you know, from August, July, August to June, where he's given school, you know, uh, school, um, uh, school courses, you know, where he can train every day, you know, and the balance with the family is very important. So two hours is very close, you know, because the family, they take the car two hours later, they can go and see and, and speak with the teachers, speak with the coaches, they can go and see him playing, you know. So Paris is a very, is a very important place to recruit because many, many players, you know, are playing in the streets, you know, they, they, they start playing in the streets. And, and of course, you know, I think that street football is sometimes very helpful to, um, to develop some, I would say natural qualities. Then, of course, when they are young, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, you know, they go and play in clubs, you know. And then you, you, I would say, you develop the player physically, technically, tactically. But you start with a good basis, you know. And and Paris had this capacity to, to to offer this opportunity to, to young players to play in the street, but also to play in in, in good lo in local clubs, small local clubs. And, and, and Paris is a huge, it's a huge city, you know? So with, and, and we have to say, because we know with mixture of population, because you know that France, you know, was uh, used to be a, a, a colonial uh, state a long time ago. And we've got many, 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 and we are very, very lucky to have, and you just watch, you know, the French national team and you will see, we have a lot of um, different kind of players, powerful players, fast players, strong players, technical players. If you compare Kipembe to uh, Griezmann, you can see that they are completely different. And I think that to make to, to make a great team, you need to have every kind of qualities. That means smartness, powerful uh, power, speed, endurance. You, you need to have everything, you know. And Paris offer this this. I would say this diversity, you know, this diversity. So, th so this is why it's a good place to recruit. 
it, it, it's a it's a great an answer there, Michael. Um, in in the last webinar that we had, we had Boris Kubler from the Croatian FA. I'm sure you're aware of as well, and he was talking about you know something similar in terms of you know in the areas of poverty where the kids get to just practice more. They're just on the ball more. They're just playing the game more than what they are in, you know, more sort of affluent areas. And, you know, let, let's not make no bones about it. These areas that you're talking about, these are sort of high poverty areas, aren't they? They're not, they're not particularly exactly. safe areas. They're not great areas. And we've, exactly. seen a bit, we've seen a bit of them on the news over the past few years. Exactly. These are these are almost you know these, yeah. these are sort of very bad areas, aren't they? Yes, yes, but bad, bad areas, poor areas, and and you know football is sometimes the only sport you can do. Yeah, because you, to play football you need to you know you just put uh, two bags or two shirts or two yeah. I don't know uh, uh, streets or in a corner of a street and you have a ball and you play even if the ball is flat you know and then you play with the ball you know it's so it's you don't need to have a basket or something it's easy to play football you know so those boys you know uh, football is of course the first sport in france and and it's the easiest and the cheapest sport you know you can you can play in france mm -hmm. and and of course the boys start you know and 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 uh, when they are in the flat, you know, they go, uh, they, they go downstairs and they, there is a field, you know, or there is a, a grass, a grass area where they put, as I said, two bags or two, I don't know, and they play football and this is how they start, you know. And sometimes I think in our new society, uh, in the countryside where I live and where we live, you know, we don't have this, you know, the boys now, they play in clubs, but they have this wild football, you know, or this street football, you know, uh, stage. Which help to, 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 to which help them to develop different qualities. When I say different qualities, I mean technical qualities, smartness. Because when you're eight-year-old boy, you play with a fourteen or fifteen or sixteen-year-old boy, you know. So, so you have to adapt. And this is the this is the, the the root of football, you know, being able to adapt in the jungle, you know, because a game is a jungle, you know, and you have to be able to adapt in this jungle. Mm. No, brilliant. It, it, it's, it's, it's a great conversation. You, I think the other thing about poor places is that all the people are, are closely packed together. So you don't have to look very far for somebody to play with where, as you say, you know, once you've done well and you're living in the countryside, you're, you're searching for someone to play with. Exactly. Like Michael says, you know, it's very much survival of the fittest, isn't it? So like if you're nine, yeah. 10 years of age and somebody's 14, adapt. Uh, yeah. and I think, you know, it's something we don't see as much, you know, particularly in parts of the UK now, apart from areas like South London, where they have the cages, Michael, and, you know, the amount of players that come from that area that make professional is phenomenal. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, the cage football and the street football, you know, can make a massive yeah. And when you have a look at the best players in the world, I'm talking about Maradona, I'm talking about Neymar, I'm talking about uh, Messi, where are they from? They, they come from countries or poor, poor countries or poor areas where they, they only play football and because uh, and, and this street football made them brilliant you know and now they are brilliant players because you know they, they could adapt as i said they had to adapt in this jungle and they, they develop many qualities you know and then when you're a club uh, and when you're when you are working in, in, the, in the development of youth players you have to find this balance between creativity and teaching them something and you have to to, to, to find this, you know, and uh, you have to rely on their qualities and trying, okay, I'm going to help you to maybe to improve in this way or in this area. And this is the tricky part, I would say, of, of um, a youth developer, you know, this mm. is to find the balance between creativity and what they can do.
Okay, it's interesting. It brings us nicely onto our next question, uh, which is, so when you do get hold of these players, you know, what are the key areas that you are looking to develop? Well, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, recruiting is hard, you know, it's hard because you, you often focus or you rely on what you see. And I'm going to talk about something very important, which is the smartness. And smartness is the capacity to do things with and without the ball. When you recruit, uh, when you have a game, everybody is able to identify the best player. Everybody, even if you're not a coach, you're, you're able to say, uh, my wife doesn't play football, but if she watches, uh, I don't know, Neymar, if she watches uh, uh, Barcelona, she will say, oh, Messi is a good player or uh, Mbappé is a good player. So everybody, even if you've never played football, everybody is able to identify those kind of players. The tricky part is to identify the other ones. I mean, the ones who are making things, you know, who are creating things on the field, but you don't see them as often as you see Messi or Mbappé, you know. And uh, for me, smartness, you know, is what we rely on. That means, what does he do without the ball? Is he moving? How is he moving? Is he active, you know, why the ball is moving? When the ball gets to him, what is he doing? Is he surprised? Uh, does he know what's, what, what is happening? Where is the closest defender? Uh, does he know where the closest defender is? So this is what you see, you know, because um, it's, it's a very simple thing, you know, but football, it's 11 v 11 or 8 v 8 or, or 9 v 9, depends, and one ball. So the best player is able to focus on other things than the ball. He focuses on the spaces, on the teammates, and on the, on the defenders. And the, when the ball gets to him, he's never surprised. You know, and this is what we try to detect. Um, but I have to confess that it's it's uh, it's hard, and you need to see the player several times to identify this. Mm. And uh, Michael, uh, the football innovation series, uh, an interview you did, uh, your quote is saying for for one uh, for yourself, there's one thing that's very important, and it's that football starts with the head and finishes with the feet. I mean, could you give the, the attendees a bit more further detail on, on what you mean by starting with the head? Yes. Um, what I mean is um, we've often, at least in France, I don't know, in other countries, we've often reduced football at the capacity of the player to, uh, to, uh, to master the ball. A good technique, good pass, good control, heading, good, sh good shot. But when, when you go everywhere in France, in every club, you can see a good technical player. And you say, why is this player not playing in a pro team? Why? He's a good technical player. So that means the pro player has something more. Because otherwise, we would be all professional. Okay? So then when you start, when you get closer, when you, when you look at him closer, you say, okay, you have the physical part of, the, of football, of course. And you also have what happens in the head. And, and again, uh, and you know, I, I give many lectures in the world, you know, about this, because I think, and, and I, I was lucky, and I'm lucky to work with the top, top young players in the academy. And when I compare all the players I have every day, and those who are now playing in Pogba and, and many others, they have something special. And this something special is this capacity to know what happens, you know, on the field. And when they, when they have the ball, they rarely make mistakes because they know where they're going to play. 
they know where the defender is coming from, where, where, he's, where he is situated according to them. And when they decide to control on the left, on the right, with the right, with the left foot, with the outside foot, with the inside foot, they do it because they have a map, a map of or they, a scan of what happens around them. You know. So when I say it, it starts in the head and finishes with the feet, I mean game intelligence. Okay, you have what happens in the head, and what you do with the feet is the answer of what you've analyzed. So that means if you decide to go on the left because your defender is coming on the other side, it's only, I would say, and Gilsa says it a lot, you know, he says that the execution is the result of thinking, you know? So when I say that uh, it starts in the head and finishes with the feet, I mean, what he does with this feet is only the result of what he saw or what he analyzed around him and he decided to make this. So we have to focus on the on, on before the execution, okay? And this is a very tricky part to 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 assess, and a tricky part to uh, to uh, to uh, to master, you know. Yeah, and we've seen it. There's a very famous clip, which I'm sure you've seen, Michael Frank Lampard with his head, you know, on a, on a swivel, uh, and yeah. listening to Frank Lampard, seeing so, you know, see the pictures, see the pictures, uh, and how important scanning or visual exploration is. Is it's all something? Yes. So yes. you know, obviously, you know. When somebody's you know looking around the perceiving you know different things, are they like different levels of perception that, that you work on, or or how can that yes. be trained? Yes, and I will I will uh, I will quote you know somebody you know in England, uh, and I you will say yeah he decided he, I, I took him because he's French. Yes, he's French. Arsene Wenger, and as Arsene Wenger says something you know, and he say because I think he's a clever guy, he's a smart guy, and he knows pretty well football, and 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 he's a great coach and he's a great manager. And he said something, and I, I strongly believe in it. He said that what makes the difference between the greater and the rest is perception. And perception in English, you have the, you have these those two words, scanning and reading. And I think this scanning process. That means we often focus on what happens with the ball, but we should focus on what happens before the player receives the ball, how he moves how he turns his head to read around the information. And you've got, I don't know if you remember Spencer, when I, when I was in London, you know, um, uh, I showed some clips, you know, some, some video footage about Messi, about, about Xavi, their capacity to be, to read all the time around them so that when they receive the ball, you know, in the feet, you know, they already have the answer of what they're going to do, you know? And, and I think there are different levels because if I compare myself, because I've never been a top player, if I compare myself to um, Messi, and, and I was lucky to coach pro players, and when I was looking at them, you know, doing stuff, I say, oh, he's doing this. If I were if I were in his position, I wouldn't have done this. But why? Because before I receive the ball, I have to focus on the ball, you know. So I have to focus on the on the ball to make sure that I can control it, that I, I can master it, and. Messi is able to receive the ball without watching it, you know, and this makes the difference because my my level of perception is very low, you know. I can only see my feet, the ball, and maybe let's say maybe four or five meters around me, and then when I when I have mastered the ball, I can raise my head, but it's too late. It's too late, you know. If you look at some video footage about Mbappe, about Suarez, about the great the greatest in in the world. They often have answer, answers in advance, but why? Because 
they check all the time around them, you know, and they have this 360 degrees, you know, vision of what happens around them. They know exactly the position of the teammates, of the defenders, the spaces, if they can go in 1v1 or if they can use um, a, a teammate, they know exactly what happens around them. And I think that this makes the difference between the, the greatest, you know, and, uh, and the other ones. And, and at what age, Michael, would you start? You know, I remember the practices that they presented in London. Uh, and at what age would you start working on you know, scanning with the players? I think uh, we have to start as early as possible. That means we can still do stuff. I'm not saying that what we are doing is bad. Huh? I say that when you organize a technical, just add a, 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 a signal a tool, just, you know, a color or something to say, look, if it's blue, turn on the right. If it's yellow, turn on the left. Uh, if it, I don't know, if it's blue, uh, play one touch. If it's yellow, control the ball and go forward, you know, just to make sure that the player raises his head before receiving. And I think, and, 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 and Wenger says something very interesting because he says, as a coach, do not kill perception, do not kill the scanning. That means instead of having the players focusing on their feet all the time to carry out, I would say, or to make the, the right technical skill, make sure that they raise the head and they control the ball, you know? So it's just a question of using some easy tools, you know, and this is what I, the lectures I give, you know, everywhere in the world, easy tools, bibs, colors, um, just to make sure that the, 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 the boys raise the head because if you, if you try them from six to 13, without watching around them. And they're only focused on the, on the right control, on the right pass, but only focuses on their feet, you're killing the level of perception. And, and now because you consider that, we consider that perception is a key element to become a great player. I think that if you have them to, to open their, 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 their field of vision, their, their field of scanning, you will help them to be better. Excellent. So really, uh, at six, seven years of age, it's something that as coaches, if we're working in that age group, we can start bringing in yeah. coloured headbands or, you know, playing in silence is one that we do at NEFA to encourage exactly. people to be looking up. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's, it's fun. It's fun for the kids. It's fun. It's challenging. It's fun. And I think that even if the, the, the boy is seven, eight, if you just tell him, look, if I show you a blue bib or a yellow bib, then you will be able, you will have to control this or to play one touch. It's very easy for the kid. It, it doesn't, you, you don't need to, to, to have more, you know, but it's, it's very easy. And you, if you start at this point, then you can create stuff, you know, when they grow to add more stuff, more, I would say, more complicated situations with games or with technical work, but just a bib, a color or something. Yeah, it, it's, um, it, it's very hard. I don't know if you agree with this. It's hard to get good habits into older players, isn't it? So, you know, it's the older they get, the harder it is. We tend to pick up bad habits when we get older. I know I certainly do. Um, yes. So, um, uh, yes, so that, that, that younger is better. But just on that before, because I've got just a quick question here. So, you know, all these top players that you mentioned, your Messi's, your, your Neymar's, all these players, Pogba's that can see it around, how, how have they developed that? How, are, how do you think they've developed that? Because maybe they haven't been coached it. So is it the nature of street football again? And this is a key question. Can we coach it or, or not, you know? Yeah. And I think that I don't, I, and I will tell you this. I think 
they haven't been coached. Even if I, I'm telling you right here because I know a guy who was working in Barcelona because he was a technical bar, uh, director in Barcelona, Carles Romagosa, who used to be the technical director in Paris, you know. Okay. And he told me because I gave a lecture with him and he said, look, Michael, when you arrived in Barcelona, Xavi, uh, Iniesta, Messi, they were all educated with um, uh, scanning. You know, and it's, it's the same thing for Cruyff, it's the same thing for other coaches, you know, top coaches, you know, who, who, who are convinced about this. So I think that because they played in the streets, because they were educated in the school, I think that they, they developed this. But sometimes maybe you are born with it or not, I don't know. But my job as a coach is to help the boys to grow, like helping them to control in a better way or make a, a pass in a better way. So I think we have to help them to have a better uh, scanning level, you know, because it's going to help them to have a better vision of what happens on the field. Absolutely, absolutely. Fantastic. Um, okay, moving on. Um, uh, as part of building game insight and understanding with players, um, what are the strategies that, that you use at La Havre? Um, so we have, um, it's very hard to explain because we have a, I have a 200 pages, you know, game model, you know, so, so, so. but just to, to explain you how we connect this part to the game model, you know. So we have a game model, which we call um, uh, the game model is, is you have a general philosophy, how you want your team to play. So you want your team to play like Barcelona or do you want your team to play like, like uh, Liverpool? I don't know. Or, okay, so you have... Uh, a global philosophy and then you have individual um, uh, individual I would say benchmarks for each position so and this is connected to the I'm telling you I, I will give you an example mm -hmm. for instance our center back we want when the when the center back has the ball we're, we're not going to tell him play there or play there you know we gave we gave him three choices and they must be able to identify the three options and decide which option is the best. I give you the example. You're a center back. You receive the ball from your keeper. You know it depends on the pressure. Okay. Uh, you have the ball. There is space in front of you. You're playing against one striker. Then you can drive the ball. First, you move the ball from one center back to another center back, and then you, when you see that there is space, you go. When you go, you have to identify three three options. Option one is the capacity to play between the lines. Okay, this is option one. So that means you must identify if there is a teammate free moving into this between the lines and able to receive the ball, you know, because he has the time, he's in advance, you know, able to receive the ball, you know, and maybe control, you know, this is option one. Option two is the capacity, so to play a long ball on the other side to the winger. And option three, it, it, if, the, if the block is low and if you, can, if you still have space because there is no pressure, go as, as far as possible to be not too, not too far, not too close to the, mid, to the other midfielder. And then identify, according to the position of the, of the block, of course, must be, be able to identify a run behind the back four because you are getting close to the line of the defenders and you must identify an option further. So we give them, we give this to all the positions, fullbacks, 
defensive mid, offensive mid, uh, wingers. So they all know what to do. And then they have to identify, analyze, and decide which op option is the best. So this is connected. This is, I would say, guided, but it's connected. We, we give them some cues, identify the cues, and decide. And then with the video, we come back after the game, and we analyze each position, choices, good choices, bad choices, and we try to see if maybe option B in this situation was better than option A or option C. And we try to, to see and show him, look, you have to have a global overview of what happens on the field. You must be able to see your winger. You must be able to see your striker. You must be able to see your winger or your fullback and decide which option is the best. So this is how we connect scanning, perception, decision, and game model. And you mentioned there, Michael, that uh, you use video as well. So after a game, do you, do you sit with the players on a, on a team basis, on an individual basis, and go through it? Yeah. We have benchmarks. So we have um, videos of the highest level, you know, which is a benchmark. We show them what we expect. We have specific drills for each position. So if I want to work on the center backs, if I want to work on the fullback, I've, I've got uh, a drill for each position. I've got the game model is around 200 pages. Yeah. Okay. And I've got a library of about 200, 250 pages from possession games, normal possession games to specific drills according to each position. Yeah. You know? And, and then, and then we use the video of the game to connect with the benchmark. So the idea is not to say, is not to tell the, the, the kid, you did wrong. No, we love the ball. Maybe I want you to analyze the situation. So look, option A, B, and C, and then decide, okay, oh yes, yeah, sorry. I didn't see option C on the other side. I, I, saw, I saw this one, but I was under pressure. I was, you know, so we, we, we want the kid to analyze the situation behind the screen and maybe correct himself what he could have done uh, in a better way, you know? And, and, and a second thing is when you're a center back or when you're a defensive mid, because you know there is this tradition to have the defensive mid coming in between the two center backs and then the full back. Yeah. We want them to analyze the pressure of the, of, of the opposite team, of the, of the opponents. Why? Because when you organize a game model, it's, it's very important to organize your game model, but also to adjust your game model according to the pressure. What do I mean? When I play against a local team here, I, I will play. I, I know that if I play against Liverpool or if I play against Arsenal or, an, or a, a good Premier League club, the pressure will be different. So the behavior will be different. The capacity of the player to analyze will be different. And if you play against two strikers, the, the, the behavior has to be different as if you play against one striker or three strikers. If the, low, if the block is low, if the block is, is high, you cannot organize the same way of building from the back. And sometimes, you know, because we only have one option in building from the back, so the idea is we start from the keeper, yes, but there are, let's say, five players of the opposite team waiting for you to press in the, in the box. So is it a good way to start from the back? Or sometimes maybe you can see your fullback a little bit higher. So we want them to analyze the situation and correct the situation according to the pressure. Of course, when I tell you this, this is the process in our, in our academy. When we have young kids, 
we first try to give them some cues and insights. Okay, we, we will not we will not ask to a nine year old boy to play a long ball on the other side for sure. You know, uh, but then the, the the bigger you get or the the older you get, the more details you are given to improve and to to improve your capacity to analyze the game, understand the game, and make right decisions. And um, just really in terms of the, the training sessions as well, Michael. So, you know, what, what does it normally look like if we take, say, an under 16 training session? And obviously there's a, an emphasis on scanning at La Havre and how, the importance of it. I mean, do you have certain sections where this is worked on or do you have like a certain format of, of a session? So we work, uh, we, have five, we have five sessions a week. So we, we work one, one practice every day. OK, from uh, so they go to school from eight to to three three thirty, and because uh, the school in France uh, ends at uh, four thirty, so they finish an hour before you know before the the official uh, finishing time. They have a session from four to six. We usually train around one an hour and fifteen an hour and thirty minute minute maximum, yeah. because we want we 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 have four sequences per per practice. So usually we have warm up, we warm up, which can be um, which can be agility, which can be uh, some uh, easy easy things, you know. Then we have a possession game, and then we have game or we have uh, game situations depending on on the day. Okay, during the week, we ask the coaches, all level, all teams, all coaches, to organize three sequences minimum of scanning every week okay so that means for instance when you organize um, a session we have a game we have a week plan for the week so we have a week plan so the, the coaches send me every sunday they send me the week plan i don't want them to send me all the sessions i just want them to to prepare what they are going to do every day so for instance they're going to tell me monday we're going to have a Agility. We're going to have possession game. We're going to have game situation and uh, let's say eleven v eleven. I don't know. Uh, Tuesday, I'm going to have agility. I'm going to have scanning. I'm going to have uh, a game. You know, so so they have to organize and they have to to set up three sequences of of scanning every week. Uh, every week, yes, uh, three sequences of about because each sequence is about twelve maximum fifty. Because we prefer, we want them to focus on quality rather than quantity. So we we prefer uh, repeating some stuff every week rather than having a long sequence of an hour or something. Yeah. But at the end, you know, uh, you lose quality. You know. Yeah. So, so part of the, the training, the model is to recap on the previous weeks to ensure that the learning's embedded really and that. Yes. Uh, yes. Exactly. And and we also have some pre-work which can be done you know uh, in the locker room which can be done which can be done in the dorm or at home that's games with video and that's the kind of challenge between the team you know and it's 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 to develop focus and reaction you know so just to give you an idea and i can send you some if you want to send them to uh, to your um, to your uh, to your guys you know uh, in the right. webinar it's Figures, you know, on, on a sheet of paper with uh, with uh, 
one, two, three, four, and you have to touch the number according to what they see, you know, in the paper, you know. And okay. then we've got many kinds of playing with colors, with, and they do this every day or almost every day. They have four days to organize a challenge. They, 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 they take the video and they send the video and at the end, oh, you did it in 17 seconds, you did it in 20 seconds, you did it. So the idea is to develop focus, is to develop um, their capacity to react and to, uh, I don't know, I don't know, to, to, to disconnect the eyes and what you do with the hands or what you do with the feet. Yeah. So that's, that's what I call pre-work or homework uh, homework, I would say, the, we, we, that's, that, that could be the, the right word. Yeah, okay, so yeah, so it's the importance on the field, but also off the field as well. Uh, I came across a lady called uh, Dr. Cheryl Calder, and she worked with England uh, Rugby Union in South Africa, and uh, you may have come across, it's called iGym, and it's very similar, and a lot of the players at England and Australia cricket use that, and it improved their decision-making and the speed yeah. uh, that they did that, and increased the peripheral vision as well, so uh, there's a lot yeah. of coaches that can be done off the field as well. Yes, you have to stimulate as much as possible. And again, it doesn't mean that they will all improve because you know it's like technique. You know, you can uh, you can organize the technical work for the same players, but you will not have the same result. It's exactly the same thing. But maybe you will help you will help one, two, three, four players to develop this um, capacity to scan. Yeah. No focus, capacity to scan. Because I consider scanning has the heart of the technical abilities tactical abilities, mental abilities, and physical abilities. And why, why am I telling you this? Because scanning is linked to uh, technique, because if you see, of course, you will control in a different way, okay? To tactics, because it's the same thing. The choice you make is, is has to be done according to what you see. Mental, because you have to be focused. And physical, because when you play a 90-minute game, okay? you're getting tired and you're, you're, you're losing your capacity to scan and you're losing your capacity to focus, you know? So I think it's important to develop the physical qualities because the physical qualities will help you to be focused as long as possible. Yeah, and when you think about it, it's the first muscle that becomes tired in the body, is the eyes. Exactly. We don't, we'll, we'll train as hamstrings or as quads, but we don't train the eyes. Exactly. Very good. I, mean, I think that, that takes us to our first break, doesn't it? It does. It takes Players. us up to our, our first and only break. Um, uh, and But as always, as always, we always get our guest to come up with a question to ask you guys. And Michael has come up with an absolutely fantastic question. So whilst we're having our five-minute break, uh, the question we want you to ponder and put your answers to in the chat box is the following. Can we coach game intelligence? If yes, how? So can we coach game intelligence? If yes, how? Put your answers to that in the chat box. Keep your questions for Michael in the Q&A box and we will see you in five minutes time. 